On this episode of Dear Future CRO, we talked to Paula Hansen, president and CRO of Altrix. Paula shares about removing unconscious bias in the hiring process, having flexible hiring practices, and the importance of mentors outside of your field or industry. Hi, welcome to the pop-up podcast, Dear Future CRO, brought to you by Hunters and Unicorns and Growth Q, hosted by Culture Crunch and Growth Q. And here we have the founder and CEO of Growth Q, ladies and gentlemen, Esther Iamu. Hi, Esther. Hello, hello. Really excited to have this conversation to talk to our future CROs. I'm so excited for this pop-up podcast. We're going to have some fun. Amazing, amazing. And today we're thrilled to be joined by Paula Hansen, President and Chief Revenue Officer at Alteryx. Hello, Paula. Hello. I'm so happy to be here today. Thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Paula. Honestly, we are, uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you as a guest. Now, I know that you two, you guys go back, right? Is that, is that correct? Tell me, give me some context. I will give you the skinny. Um, Paula has always been a woman of influence in the tech industry. And I've had the privilege of working uh, at the same company with her, but also seeking her guidance as a fellow female revenue leader, trying to also for, forge a path in the tech industry. And I thought Paula would be incredible to ha- come, have join us, not only because of the success she's had in her career, but also in the choices she's made and how she leads uh, dynamic and diverse teams. So Paula, without further ado, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little inkling into your journey and um, if you wouldn't mind also, why sales? How'd you get here and why did you stay? Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you, Esther. And we we have gone way back. I have uh, so much uh, respect and inspiration from you as a revenue leader. Thrilled to see what you're doing out there in the world to really change the trajectory for sales organizations and uh, diverse populations. So couldn't be more thrilled uh, to have this conversation with you and, and, to, uh, and, and to see where we can collectively take uh, the future of sales uh, as we go forward here. So my journey is a, a bit of a, a, a windy one, as most people's journeys are. And I think that's really important for people to recognize. Oftentimes people think everything's planned from the very minute that you, you know, go into college or university, and then you just sort of click away at your to-do list and everything falls into place, which I think if you talk to anyone, it doesn't happen like that for anyone. So um, my story is no different in that regard. Um, I actually went to school for uh, a uh, electrical engineering degree because I love math and science. And as I was thinking about going into college, I thought, what can I do where I can use those two passions and make a difference in the world? And so I went into electrical engineering at Virginia Tech. So I'm a Hokie, big fan of the Hokies. Um, And, you know, Continued through that for a few years and then did a summer internship between my junior and senior year at a power plant. And I was in a lab all summer working on things in a lab. And it really hit me at that moment. I don't want to be an engineer. Uh, I'm not into this. Like, uh, I'm stuck in this lab. I'm working on computers. I haven't had any really, you know, um, 
great opportunities to talk to people and to understand at the end of the day, what is this technology that I'm working on even doing? So I had a bit of a moment uh, in that late part of my college years to say, what am I going to do? I have this engineering degree. I don't want to be an engineer. So I reached out to my older sister. I have two older sisters who serve as great mentors to me um, as professional women. And they said, well, what do you want to do? Like, you like technology, but you don't want to be an engineer. And from there, they kind of helped me discover the concept of technical sales and this uh, idea that I can take this knowledge and love and passion that I have for technology, but still use, you know, my love and passion for relationships, interpersonal skills, um, and ultimately talking about what technology does instead of what technology is, what's the impact and the outcome that technology does, sales seem like uh, the best path for that. So um, I went straight into technical sales with Texas Instruments. I went through a fabulous sales uh, development program that they had, uh, which I strongly advise and advocate people to leverage if they have that opportunity. And I did that for about four years. And then I went to Cisco where you and I met, uh, Esther. Uh, and I was just drawn to the concept of the internet and all the, the things that internet was going to unlock for different industries and different companies. And I spent the better part of 20 years there, which was really where I learned about leadership, um, where I learned about all the changes that sales can can make as it evolves and all the opportunities that that affords people for their own professional development. So I did first level leadership there uh, for about five years. I did second level leadership there for about five years. Um, and then uh, my final role was leading enterprise sales um, in the Western US, which was just a, a huge um, opportunity and a great experience for me. So I think my big takeaway there was just understanding the, the role that leadership plays in um, in in charting uh, business outcomes, but also in charting professional outcomes for individuals. And then ultimately learning that I just love, you know, to learn more about technology and the new outcomes that can be um, derived. So I then moved over to SAP for uh, just about three years, which was my first chief revenue officer role where I led sales, marketing, and customer success services and partners for our customer experience cloud business, which was a great stretch opportunity for me to be pure cloud and to learn about, you know, application software and helping people set up commerce stores and um, CRM platforms and customer service uh, capabilities. So again, really mesmerized by the outcomes that technology led uh, for those customers and organizations. And then recently joined Alteryx uh, just about two years ago um, because we're in the business of transforming businesses to make better decisions with data and we're in the data analytics space. So I have the, the great fortune to lead all the customer facing functions here at Alteryx, um, 1700 people that wake up every day thinking about how do we help customers unlock the power of their data uh, to make you know both top line and bottom line uh, outcomes for their businesses. Love that, love that, love that. It's, it's so interesting how the your thirst for knowledge in the technology space, but also the you know the emotional intelligence that you have, the interpersonal skills that you have. It all kind of married in you know it's such a great way at the right time to to really kind of forge this path for you. Um, why do you think you've stayed 
in 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 this sort of in in this space? Yeah, I think two reasons. Um, one is it's an opportunity to always be learning. Uh, you know, whether it's technology or sales or technology sales, you are never done learning. Uh, there's always something new to grasp on the technology side, of course, because it's always developing and evolving. Uh, and sales is always developing and evolving too. I mean, in the early days of my career, I think we were, you know, taught to build really quality relationships, and it was all about the relationships that you built. Then I felt like, you know, the mid part of my career, it was around, okay, think about solutions, you know, make sure you're showing up and, and giving customers solutions to their problems. Um, and, and that's what's going to win in sales. And now I think it is, um, you know, evolved even more to where the sales organizations that are a little bit more prescriptive, a little bit more maybe even provocative at times and challenging their customers to think differently about really how do you unlock the next level of outcome for your business? Um, and here's how we as your partner um, can work with you to do that. Leveraging technology, of course, in a big way, but there's also so much else to sales and than just leveraging tech. It's, it's how you help them um, after the sale, how you help them implement it, how you help them drive real outcomes for their business. And so um, I think I've stayed because I'm a curious person by nature. I like learning. I want to feel challenged. Um, and I think sales and tech afford the opportunity to do that. And then maybe the third reason I said there were two, but I'm going to slip a third one in. The third reason is, is it's a team sport. Um, and I like playing team sports, right? In other words, you know, salespeople are very important people, but um, the best salespeople are the ones that leverage everybody else around them, you know, both with their customers, with their organization, with their partners, with their network. Um, you know, it's a team sport. And by far, I enjoy that aspect of it because of, you know, the interpersonal um, relationships you can build, the things that you can learn the leverage that you can get with diversity and diverse thought, diverse backgrounds, diverse experience and ideas to come up with the best uh, idea um, is, is, you know, through team dynamics. I love that. I love that. Um, you're getting me so excited. I have so many questions here. So the one that I loved that you mentioned is that you, you saw an inflection point and you went to your sisters. I'm also one of three sisters. Um, you went to your sisters and you sought counsel. And what they helped you see was that in sales, you for, for you, you lo still love tech, but you wanted to talk about what tech does, not just what tech is. And, and that's like a perfect bridge to talk about the importance of seeking that counsel to really help you filter your thoughts to get to, you know, whatever you need to get to. Can you talk to us about... Um, the importance of mentorship, how it's had in your career or what you've seen in your organizations that have been helpful for mentees and mentors. Yeah. I mean, mentorship is so important, you know, in life uh, and, and in business, right? Um, because I think that we all know ourselves pretty well, but sometimes we can't see the forest through the trees for, our, for ourselves, right? In that case that I shared, I knew that I wasn't ready to be an engineer, but I but I didn't know what to do with my skills. And it wasn't until I started talking about it with people, by the way, neither of my sisters were in tech. One one was in finance and one was in supply chain. 
uh, they just were able to ask me questions and sort of hold the mirror up and say, what do you like to do? What do you like about technology? What do you like doing every day? Where we kind of coalesced on this concept of looking at sales. So I think mentorships are so important because it helps with that that conversation, that you know, uh, asking of questions and seeking insights into ourselves and seeking insights from others that help us, you know, come to conclusions about what we want to do next or what we're good at, or, you know, maybe sometimes having that, that making that hard decision that, that you don't want to make um, on your own, or, you know, you just need someone to sort of say to you, I think you know what you want to do here. You just haven't leaned into it and embraced it yet. So uh, I think it's incredibly important. And I think mentors come in all shapes and sizes. So you can have mentors that work at the same company that you have. You can have mentors that work outside of the company. I recommend that you have both. Um, you can have mentors that have very you know, similar backgrounds to yours so that you can get into a little bit more of the details uh, with someone who understands what you do. But I think you should absolutely have mentors that do nothing uh, like what you do, um, because then that's where, you know, there's maybe less bias um, and maybe just a little bit of a, of a healthy ignorance uh, in the conversation, which is like, well, tell me more or why do you feel that way or have you thought about this? And these those are sometimes the moments that most unlock for all of us as mentors uh, and mentees that, you know, are really what we're seeking at the end of the day, guidance, coaching, support, um, you know, uh, challenging us to think differently, but ultimately at the end of the day, enabling each one of us to make our own decisions for ourselves based on what we know about ourselves, our experiences and our ambitions. Gosh, you said something so profound that I want to make sure is clearly highlighted. The, one of the greatest benefits for either mentee or mentor to come to the conversation with is great questions, but also a healthy ignorance to what you do, because it then causes you to, you, you know, your brain to fire, to get all the thoughts that you think about all the time through your brain and then out through your mouth. And then somebody else has to make sense of what that is. I mean, there's just such power there in communication and knowledge sharing that happens for both the mentor and mentee, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, in our daily lives, whether we realize it or not, we're, you know, we're, we're working towards a goal or executing on actions. We're, you know, doing daily business and we can't help but be really focused on that. But most of the kind of critical thinking, I think any of us would acknowledge happens when you sort of pull away from that and, you know, take a broader lens uh, and mentorships help you do that. And mentors get a lot from mentees, as you mentioned, Esther, and I can certainly vouch for that because, again, it's a different perspective. It's uh, a different lens. Um, it hopefully, you know, comes from somebody that you don't have all the same experiences with. I mean, I, I can think of many times where I've mentored people in a different business function and, and been like awakened <laughs> to a different view, uh, mentoring someone from a different generation. Uh, it can be enlightening, right? To understand, oh, you know, I never thought of that before. That is so inspiring and amazing that I can apply that as a leader. And then, of course, just diverse, you know, diversity of all types and experiences and thought processes. So it's very much a two-way relationship. 
Uh, a lot of times when I mentor mentees all at the end, say, oh, thank you so much. I, I can't appreciate enough, you know, your time. And I always say, I'm getting as much out of this as you are, if not more. So there, you know, it, it's mutual gratitude here and, and nobody owes anybody anything. If we're doing this right, uh, we're both learning and growing and helping each other out. And, um, you know, that's been a, a positive experience for me. It's great to understand further that dynamic between mentor and mentee and how, as you said, Paula, mutually beneficial that that relationship is. I'm keen to understand a little bit more about, you know, as a as a people manager, um, how is leadership scaled through that pairing of mentor and mentee in your team? Yeah. I think uh, it's important to scale it in um, various different ways, right? So mentorship can be one-to-many and it can be one-to-one. It can come in like a kind of prescriptive training and development format, or it can come in more of this open-ended, hey, let's have a conversation. What's on your mind? What are you struggling with? Or you know, what, what is it that you're working on that I can, you know, be a part of and helping. So when I think about it, I think about building mentorship through all those vectors, if you will. So, you know, for instance, at Alteryx, we have, you know, very developed um, leadership programs for women in sales. So we've partnered with a third party company and have this program called SOAR, which is all about helping women who are considering being a leader. Maybe they haven't even decided definitively that they want to be a leader, but they know they want to explore it and they want some, you know, training and some experiences to help them come to that conclusion more definitively. So that's a one-to-many example, right, of, of mentorship. We also just did a reverse mentorship program here at Alteryx um, with all of our senior executives, all of our C-suite executives, um, were assigned a female in the organization that shadowed them for a couple of days. And it was just open-ended, like come, you know, spend two days with me and and see what it's like to be a CRO. And then in between all of those meetings, let's have some real conversation. What's happening in your world? What are you thinking about? Do you want to be a leader? What, what, you know, what, what do you think of when you think of five years from now, 10 years from now? And across the board, every senior executive that was a part of this program said, I got so much out of this program. We knew that, you know, the mentees would, and they wrote these incredible summaries of what their experiences were, what they learned, what they were going to do next as an outcome of it. Um, And the executive team said, this is what I learned from the the woman that I spent time with. And, And so we're already talking about, we need to do another one. We can't wait another year. Like, let's try and kick one off in the next quarter. So um, you know, they, like I said, it comes in all different fashions. And and I also always encourage people, don't wait for those programs either, right? So if you are seeking guidance, if you're seeking a mentor, if you're seeking a mentee, you know, use your network, reach out to people, reach out to your leader uh, and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a, a mentor. This is what I'd like to have discussions around. Can you help, can you help, you know, connect me with someone? Um, so that advocacy is is really important as well because um, it can't all be you know perfectly designed. We, we know that we've learned that we aren't we're far from perfect on this, and we're still trying to you know um, evolve and make uh, make more change than we've made uh, to date. And so that advocacy is really important. 
And what I'm hearing loud and clear for all of our people managers that are listening right now is that weight doesn't have to all be carried by the people manager. Like the leader, the mentorship for uh, the tech sales talent on the team doesn't always have to sit with the people manager. You've got some great opportunity to create connection within your team or across um, other areas that can be mutually beneficial, right? Both for the mentor as well as the mentee. A hundred percent, Esther. And I, I think when you're thinking about a mentorship, I always encourage people to think about what what are you seeking from that, right? Like what specifically are you seeking? Are you looking for help with how to be the best you can be in your current role, right? That might be a, a, a certain type of mentor. Are you seeking advice for what you want to do next or, you know, your career pathing that you want? That's a, maybe a different type of mentor. Or maybe it's... Um, I, you know, I think I might want to change jobs altogether. Like I'm in sales and I want to get into finance. What do I do? Right. I mean, that is a whole nother type of mentorship uh, or you're considering leadership. A lot of times I find people aren't sure if they want to be a leader or not. They think they might want to be a leader, but they don't know. So they want to talk to someone and get the real scoop on the good, the bad, and the ugly of leadership. So whatever it is, you will do yourself the best favor and get the most out of the relationship if you can kind of think about what you want, right? And so um, I encourage people to do that. And, and and it's okay also to say, I don't know what I want. Let's have a discovery conversation to figure out what I want. That's okay too. But think about trying to define it because then it's most likely you'll get um, the outcomes that you're looking for from it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, um, often talk, I talk about this in, in keynotes and, and speaking events around the different types of mentorship relationships there are. And I coined part of this from, uh, the great Carla Harris. You've heard her. She's like the, the boss of Wall Street, probably one of the, one of the most powerful women on Wall Street. <clears throat> and she coined, and these are the types of mentorship she learned over her, um, several decade career was there's mentors, coaches, sponsors, and I added a fourth being your peer group. Yeah. So coaches, mentors, sponsors, and your peer group. Your peer group is, hey, look, we're all going through this at the same time. Let's compare notes and figure it out together. Right. Your, your coaches might have a very specific subject in mind that they can really go deep on. Right. And, and if I liken the relationship to a tree, they're the leaves of the tree, right? They're there for that season of the thing you need to develop on. And you, you learn together, you exchange. Um, but that's for that particular season that you might need that coach for. A mentor is more of a, um, they may not have the knowledge like your sisters to what tech sales really was. But they're really there to just help you. All they care about is asking the right questions to help you get to where you want to be. The last one blew my mind because I didn't realize how important this piece was for people's careers. Sponsorship. And who is your sponsor? And that is very different than your peer group, your coach, or your mentor, a sponsor. And this person is one who um, might open doors for you when you're not in the room. They have the political capital to speak your name in rooms where like it moves mountains and things happen. Um, but they're also extremely busy people, likely have a lot of people reporting to them or have a lot of resources that they have to cover. So they've got a lot going on. Um, 
while sponsors are incredible for your career, um, you can't just call someone and say, hey, would you mind being my sponsor? So like, have you had sponsors in your career and how did you know they were? And then how, how was the relationship managed or how did you leverage that relationship? And they the same. Yeah, such a great question, Esther. And, and the, the sponsorship concept is, to your point, kind of, uh, you know, really, you know, game changing and, and, and at times a little bit hard to wrap your head around that somebody would actually, you know, speak on your behalf when you're not in the room, when you haven't asked them to do anything, but they just are moved by you enough and confident enough in you to do it. Um, I have been really lucky. I've had two sponsors in my life, uh, both women, um, one that was working uh, at the company that I was at at the time that she was my sponsor, uh, and the other one who was uh, not working at the company that I was at, but was out in the industry, and I think you know knew that I had interest to become a CRO, and so as she was a CRO, a, a multi, you know, multiple time over CRO. So she was getting the the calls from uh, the executive search firms and other companies. And so when she got that call uh, and she thought it sounded like a right opportunity for me, she sponsored me into it. So just an incredible, you know, um, you know, blessing for me to have had had that, you know, two different times in my career. And I think. You know, I do think that those are relationships that um, don't happen overnight. You know, I do think that ultimately when someone's your sponsor, it's because they they know a lot about you. They know what you're made of. They know what you can do. They know what your passion and your strengths are and your integrity and your whole self are that it's just super easy for for them to just put go out on a limb and and say, yeah, for sure you know, Paula's your gal, or you should really talk to Paula. Um, but, you know, I don't want to say that it's all left to fate in that regard, because then that can leave people, you know, wondering, well, when am I ever going to get a sponsor if this is something that just takes time and it's someone that gets to know me? Um, I think, you know, you can, you can develop sponsors by being a good uh, participant in your own development and, you know, building networks and, um, learning about other people's career paths and expressing to them that you have ambitions uh, yourself and that, um, you know, you're looking to learn more, you're learning, looking to give back more, you're looking to stretch yourselves and, and why. And I, I think that when you're just open with people, uh, even when it's not clear that there's something to be discussed or an opportunity on the table or, or um, you know, something specific that you want their help on, I think most, you know, people can connect those dots and and through those conversations that you have think, okay, I'm going to be a sponsor for this individual because, you know, I I just believe in them. I've seen what they can do and I know that they have uh intentional, you know, aspirations that I want to be a part of helping them to reach. And thank you firstly for sharing that insight. I think you know, Esther, that point about the differentiate, you know, the, the, the different types of mentoring is it's really, really important. And I think it's becoming more of the narrative um, in in all different types of working environments, not just within the tech sales space. Um, but I'm really keen to understand, Paula, what's your opinion and how we can 
help sponsorship be, be more normalized? Because at the moment, it still feels like it's that kind of, if you have it, great, but a lot of people don't have access to it and they don't know who to ask or how to be proactive. How do you think leaders can really drive that normalization of, of sponsorship? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's funny that um, you can take a step back sometimes as as someone who sees people making hiring decisions on a regular basis, right? I've had a chance over many, many years to see people have, you know, a need to hire a leader or to, to hire an individual. And you sort of watch what they do and the process that they go through to come to that decision. And still far too many people are only making the hiring decision uh, to go with someone that they have really, really deep experience with, uh, that they worked together in a prior life or at the same company in the same department. That, that things are never going to change if that's the way we go about making hiring decisions, right? We have to be thinking about not who I've worked with, but who Esther has worked with and who Esther's you know, colleague who I've never met has worked with before in a completely different industry, but has a sense of an individual's skill sets and their building blocks, not their experience, not that they've done the job before, but they have experience with the skill sets that are required for the job that I'm hiring for. So one of the ways that I think we scale sponsorship is just in our hiring practices to tell people, I am looking for at least half of your candidate pool to be someone that you've never worked with before, but that you have to go out and seek, you know, advice from people that maybe you don't even know that well, but you, you know, can tell from their experience and their network that they would have good candidates for you to consider. Um, so I think I think it's just challenging the sponsors, right? I don't think we can put the responsibility for sponsorship becoming normalized on on the people seeking sponsorship, I think we have to put the requirement on the sponsors themselves and say, what are you personally doing to advocate for someone who's not in the room? What are you personally doing to reach out to your connections who may be making hiring decisions and putting ideas out there for people that you know and represent and, and, and so forth? And then I think we ultimately have to you know, all acknowledge that Sometimes you're making a decision based on skill sets and not on experiences uh, and that those skill sets, you know, lead to a trend that suggests that someone's going to be successful in this role. Um, that's the only way we really change the trends that we're seeing, you know, in sales and technology and, and anywhere, right, is it can't all be that you have the exact experience with that individual and the exact experience with that job. Um, it has to be sort of, you know, grounded in, in foundational skills, hunches that people have about people, just knowledge that these are good, hardworking people that can be successful if given the right opportunity. Uh, you nailed that. I, I, you know, the the key pieces I gathered from that is removing pedigree bias and getting out of the room for who you know, right? Like, so that. CRO listening, get out of the room for just who you know or who's within your first or second degree network um, and uh, look outside of pedigree bias because you could be, you could find some diamonds out there. Are you in sales or looking to start a career in sales? Join our community at growth.co. For those looking to hire, let us help you build your talent bench. Create a profile at growthq.co.
You know, one thing that's come up, you know, Kieran and I talk about this a bit, um, given the purpose for Culture Crunch is really looking at the tech industry all up and thinking about the different perspective that's in the room. What comes up often is unconscious bias. And I'd love to get your perspective on what you've seen in the diverse companies you've been at that really target um, trying to be intentional about recognizing unconscious bias, in particular in screening and interviewing. I mean, that's a, that's a really key point because the whole purpose of bringing in talent from the outside is to remove groupthink. And it gets hard to remove groupthink if you're not screening for where that groupthink may lie in that inflection point and interview process. So can you talk to us a little about um, where you've seen great practices around removing unconscious bias or recognizing it specifically in the interview processes? Yeah. Well, recognizing it as you're calling out there, Esther, is really important, right? So first you have to start with just acknowledging that it exists, you know, uh, you know, taking down people's defenses to say, we all have unconscious bias. And so you're not a bad person. If you have that, you're, you're, you know, you need to understand what it is though. And you need to understand what you can do as a part of a, of a hiring process and interview process to minimize that from having impact on your recommendations. So, you know, we have training around unconscious bias. Uh, we make sure that all of our leadership team gets exposed to that and can understand that. So I, I think it starts first with that, right? Let's just acknowledge we're humans. We're not perfect, and we come we come with, you know, things that we need to be mindful of and keep in check. Um, so that's first. I think in terms of the actual practices that you can implement, of course, having a diverse interview panel is a great first step, right? So if you're wanting to make sure that you um, minimize bias, you should have people from different backgrounds, experiences you know, gender, generation, race, et cetera, because then you have the best chance to, you know, have that opportunity to recognize all facets of the people that you're talking to because you're looking at them through different lenses. Um, and then, you know, uh, we we track uh, very closely our funnel of candidates and we can see from first call to screen to first interview to second interview, third interview and offer, we can see where our fall off is for our diverse candidate pool. And I think we've had some success in pinpointing in certain areas of that funnel, if you will, you manage it just like you manage a, a sales funnel. Um, if you're seeing more fall off in a particular part of your process, going in and sort of asking the questions and saying, what, what is it that we talk about in this particular stage of the interview process? What is it, who's involved in this process? Um, what is it that, we're generally, you know, reducing the candidate pool by a lot in this particular section of the interview process. So I think that's also very important is that you're you're managing it, you're tracking it, you're looking at it statistically and saying, you know, there's something here that we need to go dive into and, and learn from. And then I think the third piece is, um, and I've sort of hit on this a couple of times. I just, I believe in it so much it's hard to do, but it's really differentiating. Instead of saying, you know, tell me about a time you were an account manager, an account executive, and how you delivered the results that you delivered. You know, asking questions like, how do you build relationships? How do you ask questions to understand what a potential buyer might be looking for? How is it that you, um, 
are going to, you know, how is it that in your life at some point you had to represent something more than your point of view? You had to represent a group's point of view or an organization's point of view. How, how did you do that? So breaking it down from like, tell me about the job and tell me about the experience that you have to tell me about this set of skills that you have. And people can answer those questions in any myriad of ways, whether it's through their professional experience or even their personal experience. It gives you, you know, insight into things about that candidate and how they would how they would um, play the role that you're interviewing them for uh, versus just, you know, defining it from the get go. You know, tell me about your account executive experience. What really resonates with me, Paula, from, from, you know, that really kind of insightful answer is the honesty, just the honesty from the beginning, the outset of let's address unconscious bias or, you know, let's discuss it in a forum that is transparent and candid. Um, let's agree that we've all got it to a different extent and let's accept it and let's strategize and let's move forward. But then also the honesty at which when you talked about looking at your interview, the, the, the process as it were, and identifying, okay, that, that at that point, something happened, we need to investigate further. And, and, and data is essentially honesty, right? And, and with that mindset, I think it's a really, really tangible way that leaders out there and future CROs out there watching this can can put into place steps to to really address the point that, that the question that Esther raised. I think that's really really powerful. Um, yeah. So just moving moving on from that point, um, how do you how does your organisation um kind of implement diverse interview panels. You talked earlier about having a diverse interview panel being really important, but how can you, how can your organization, how does it drive that in, in a tangible way? Well, I mean, I think, I think that we, um, you know, utilize the power of a centralized human resources organization and a talent acquisition organization as uh, you know, sort of the governance of the overall process, right? To say, um, you know, hiring manager over here has these two roles open. Um, you know, let's look at who their interview panel is. If they don't have any diversity on their interview panel, you should reach out to them and ask them to put diversity on their interview panel. Um, and then, you know, kind of continuing that process throughout the different cycles of the process to say, well, where's the candidate pool? Uh, wait a second, we don't have any candidates that are diverse right now. Let's let's pause the process right now and go seek diverse candidates to bring them into this process before we progress with the ones that we have, the candidates that we have. So um, there's no question in my mind that um, the HR talent acquisition function of any company, you know, can play a really important business partner role in all of this um, and making sure that, you know, we really are doing what we say we're going to do, building the diverse candidate pool, building the diverse interview panel, even, you know, even, even advocating at times for candidates. So um, I had an experience this year where one of our recruiters felt that one of our diverse candidates, you know, what wasn't trending well from the panel feedback, but he just felt that there was a there there and that 
maybe this individual needed a second round um, and a deeper look. And so he advocated for her and uh, gave her, you know, uh, a, a chance to interview and, you know, represent herself uh, at the level that I think he saw in her and he believed she was capable of. And uh, we ended up hiring her. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, a, a great hero story of the importance of that sort of, you know, talent acquisition HR function that can, you know, sometimes you know, take that bigger picture and say, hold on a second. I know we're all running really, really fast. And I know that we all feel like we see where this is going, but I don't know. Can we just take a second here and re-review something? And, you know, it ended up making a difference. So that's an example of a, a sponsorship of sorts uh, that, you know, if, if more and more people sort of listen to that voice or that gut or that feeling of, you know what, I think there's something here um, and, and advocating for it, th those, those small steps alone can make really big differences. I love it. I love it. I have to ask you this question. We could sit here for hours, honestly, because I want to extract all the things and all the learnings from you, Paula. I got to ask this last question before we close, because the whole purpose of us putting this together is to really write that call it, I call it, love letter to the future CRO that is going to make a difference in this industry. So if you wouldn't mind finishing this sentence for us, dear future CRO, and what advice would you add to the end of that? Ooh, such a thoughtful uh, and, and fascinating question. So before I finish the sentence, let me maybe lay a little bit of groundwork about why, why my answer is what it is. Um, so I've been in, you know, sales, go to market for, you know, let's just say over 25 years. We'll leave it at that. Um, and that whole time, I've always had a quota. I've always had a number. Uh, I've always had a result that I had to deliver on or a set of results. Um, and we can sometimes think that that is exclusively our jobs, right, is to hit that number and to make that result happen. Um and as you take on bigger and bigger leadership roles, and the CRO role is obviously a really important leadership role, we can we can forget that that outcome is not something that we're personally delivering. It's something that we're orchestrating through a group of people, through a team, if you will. And so um, the answer to your question is, dear future CRO, be thinking about how over your career you are being a part of building quality teams, of really investing in talent, really investing in people's development, really thinking about what it is that you need from your team of people, your leaders, your individual contributors to deliver on the result that you have. And when you think about it in that concept, sometimes you'll do different things. In fact, I would submit to you, you will do different things on a daily basis than you would if you're only thinking about my job is to deliver on the number. Uh, and so the sooner that we all take that in as, as we're growing and learning and, and evolving as professionals about the people side of it and the talent side of it and the importance of building a high quality, high performing, diverse team to deliver the result that you're accountable to, you know, the, the more likely it is that I think you're gonna rise to, you know, 
uh, those opportunities, uh, enjoy the ride at the same time and build, you know, build something that's bigger than yourself. That's um, something that when you move on, will continue to perform uh, because of a lot of, of the people that you've been fortunate to be able to work with. Mic drop. Can we just drop the mic now? Can we drop the mic now? I'm okay with dropping the mic. My goodness. I, I cannot thank you enough, Paula, for taking this time with us. Um, you know, the purpose of why we do this is to write that love letter to that future CRO who is wanting to see what we get to in this room right now. For those listening, looking in this room right now, you've got three powerful women from different perspectives, different edges of the world, different backgrounds, all looking to pour into you right now, whoever's listening, to make sure you are in the best position you can be in for being that future CRO. And clearly my dog also agrees. Um, but Paula, thank you so much for taking this time with us. Kieran, you killed it as usual. We are so grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much. What a great, what a great conversation. I enjoyed every minute of it. And I can't wait to see what the CROs of the future uh, are and what they do. Just an exciting, uh, bright future ahead. Esther, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, and Paula, thank you so much for joining us as a guest. We hope to see you soon. To all of our viewers, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, please check out our platforms on Instagram, Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube, and share, like, and subscribe. Esther, I hope to see you again soon. Paula, thank you so much. And to our viewers, we hope to see you next time. Thank you.